Philippians chapter 2, the first five verses. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I hope that you have enjoyed worship so far. I hope you enjoyed being here at this church. If you are new, you probably have not seen Pastor Dave in a few weeks. He's been at Columbia, in the country of Columbia, preaching, teaching other pastors on how they are to spread the word. So he'll be back next week. But we've had some uh, precious gems come from the word of God from special speakers. And hopefully you might hear more from God's word this morning. Um, my name is Matthew, as uh, Jason mentioned. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Um, I'm just a guy. I love God. No, I love Jesus. I love his word, and I love his people. That's my credentials. I want to tell you a little bit about, uh, a little bit about my past. It was 1977. I was eight years old, if you can do the math. I was excited because I was going to go to Long Point Amusement Park. Some of you guys might know where that is. It's at the, it, was, it was at the tip of Canisius Lake. We went there, and it was just a park. But back in, the day, back in its heyday, it was an amusement park, and it rivaled Darien Lake. Well, kind of. <laughs> um, three things happened. Three things happened that I wouldn't realize until later uh, would be very important for me. First, because of family events and uh, the grand opening of Darien Lake a few years after uh, that, uh, that'd be the last time I went to Darien Lake. I wouldn't realize that. It'd be so cool. Second thing is uh, back in the day, there was uh, roller skating was all the rage. And uh, so in amusement park, uh, they have roller skating there as a ride, like the Ferris wheel or the scrambler. You would also give a ticket to, you know, go into the barn there and ro roller skate. I, I don't, that's irrelevant. But what I thought was cool was I started following around this uh, young little pretty girl, brunette, and it, I was mildly attractive as much as an eight-year-old could be to this girl. And I didn't realize until later that I would actually be able to get to marry uh, a pretty uh, brunette uh, later on in life. The third thing that happened, that realized that happened that day, was that my mom, um, she um, she left the park and then she came back, and um, she came back with my brother Bobby, who was sick. The doctor said he had uh, had mono, and so she came back and she parked kind of weird because usually uh, th there's the beach at Long Point. If, if you guys remember going there. And there's like a park there. There's no parking. But back in the day, there was parking right next to the beach. 
And uh, she, she didn't just pull in, she backed in so that, because uh, Bobby was in the back. I was like, was he that sick? Uh, and so he was in the back of the old Plymouth station wagon back in the day. Those big boats used to rival huge SUVs in the day now. And, um, and so he was there, and uh, we enjoyed a, just a great day at the lake, watching the sun, watching the boaters, watching, eating dinner and all that, just for a long time. And I didn't realize until later that um, that would be um, probably the last time he would go to the lake. Uh, he wouldn't get to marry a brunette, and um, he, he would not be able to go there at all because a few months later, um, he had died from leukemia. Now, that's a sad story, uh, but the problem is, uh, the, 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 the cool thing about that is God orchestrated many things uh, after that. And that was a long time ago, and, and from time to time, uh, I do recall um, Bobby, my brother, uh, I loved him. He, he taught me how to ride my bike. He was like my best, biggest brother. Uh, protected me when I got into fights with my other two older sisters. Um, and well, older sister and brother, and uh, so I just loved him, but I miss him, and what I'm trying to say is that God orchestrated all of that so that we would know Jesus. Before that time, my dad would never darken the door of a church. My mom, she had some friends, and she had a Bible, she'd read it but, um, from time to time, but never like uh, until after the, that event happened in, in the life of our family. God changed the course of our family um, forever uh, because of that. There would no, be no reason for the gifts and family tree to ever know Jesus at all. And so God was orchestrating events in my family. It was for his glory and it was for my good. He has planned for you to be in a family that you have. He is orchestrating his glory and your good in the family that you have. Families are important. Significant events are going to happen. And you may not realize until later what's, what's going on in your family now. It'll reveal something later. And so I just ask that you just love your family with all the strength that God gives you. That you honor him in loving your wife, your husband, your kids, your siblings, and your parents. I'm going to give an outline here in a minute, but I need to talk about family in general for a while. So I don't know what your bulletins look like. Um, there's three words starting with the letter C. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit because the title of the sermon is uh, Loving Your Family, and I'm in Philippians 2, which Philippians 2 is a, is a letter to Christians, and so I'm preaching to, in, in a sense, to Christians. I'm also knowing I'm preaching to the unsaved in this room, but I am preaching to Christians. And this is kind of not ordinary because usually I just start with the text and end with it, but this is a little bit more topical. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about family because I want to apply this to family. I want to showcase um, what uh, God has in store for us as families. And so um, you can keep your Bible open. You can peruse through Philippians a little bit, but I want you to listen. Families are important, but in order to make families first, I want you to not make families first. I want you to make the kingdom of God first. Making the kingdom of God 
will help you to love your families. Matthew 6, tells us, seek ye first in the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And I'm telling you, the loving your family will come as you seek God and his righteousness. It's funny, we tend to be so anxious about our families and how they treat us or how they ought to line up to our authority if we're parents. We do that so much rather than worrying about how we love God and how we love our family the way they need to be loved. Sometimes we may not like what our family does. We are called, though, to love them. God does call us to love them. If you are saved, then you know the gospel. And if you know the gospel, then you know that it is the free gift of eternal life. It is a free gift from God. And so God, you understand that God also gives you gifts, many gifts, and he gives you the gift of your family. And so you need to realize that your family is a gift. We must see our families as a gift and be free to love them the way God intends. Sadly, we tend to make them conform to our image of what a family exists. A lot of times there's resentment in families because people don't line up. They fall short of what people expect. Husbands and wives get into arguments because one or the other didn't do what they should have done. And we don't normally think about the gospel when we're living our life in a family. We tend to think of how can our family take care of our needs? How can they live up to our expectations? There have been moments I've asked my wife. I mean, some of you here know our youngest daughter. And um, I, I've asked her in the past, I've wondered, what if she didn't have an extra chromosome? I mean, she's only 18 months apart from her older sister, or her younger sister. Would she get along with her sister? Would she fight with her? Would, would they be best friends? Would they compete? Um, I, who knows? Um, even just that mundane question that I was asking, God had bigger plans for, for me, for our family. Uh, Maddie is a gift to our family because she treats us as a gift. She helps us to see past what I thought I expected as a family, what a family ought to be, or my expectations of what a perfect family ought to be. God helped to remove an idol in me of thinking about abilities and capabilities. And God gave us a different trajectory in our life. I would say even a better way. When Maddie, Maddie was born, she needed uh, heart surgery. And uh, she was too small for heart surgery. Uh, they said she was too little for that extensive uh, surgery. So they said, well, just take her home and just make sure her lips don't turn blue. Uh, make sure she cries. And if she doesn't cry, just make sure her chest moves up and down. And the doctor said, yeah, just go and come back in about six months when she's able to do that. And we're like, really? Really, we're supposed to do this? Watch to see if she's alive? But God was training us over day after day for the, the first six months to worry about life and death. Uh, she didn't cry much, which is great. We didn't have a colicky baby. We just were afraid that she wasn't alive, like she just slept all night long. And so we would be worried. We were scared. God was training us to think of in terms of life and death, way bigger terms than abilities or capabilities. Eventually, she had the surgery recovery. Some guys, some of you see her 
running around from time to time. Her recovery was good. God is good. He healed her. But then the capabilities and abilities started to come into play. God has um, trained us to understand uh, the reality of the bigger picture, to see what's more important. And so we, uh, Stacy, learned to sign to communicate with her. Uh, we both learned how to be patient and wait and to just wait to see and she, how she communicates to us, what she wants. We had to learn to be good listeners, learn to know what she needed. My question for you is what would, what would it take for you to learn to know what your family actually needs? What would it take for you to, to just be patient, to find out what exactly is your family needing? For her, hugs are most important. That's simple, right? Love can be shared with hugs. The love is shared in far more simpler ways than I ever would have imagined. The kids got involved. They helped us to help uh, share love. And it's easy as like zipping zippers, buttoning buttons, tying shoelaces, right? Helping someone down the steps. But it's over and over. These, it's just commonplace, right? It just... It's just a, a part of everyday life. Every time there's a button to be buttoned, it's got to be buttoned. There's probably a shoelace untied right now. Um, we're just going to tie shoelaces. We're going to button buttons and zip zip. Easy, simple things. But they're ways to share love. There are times uh, that I've failed. And there's a fine line between discipline and her disability. And I know I've crossed it. I know that uh, I've exasperated our kids. I've, I've, I've been angry and um, impatient. Thankfully, though, God was answering a prayer of mine because I wanted to be patient, and he was really uh, teaching me patience. And so, um, you know, the funny thing is, like, here's a funny one. I've left Manny at the house once. We went to church. You know, we're, like, getting ready. I literally left her at the, at the house. And then, then to make all things worse, I, I literally, actually, we left church, and it was my responsibility to get her, and I left her at church. <laughs> it's like, what dad does these types of things, right? But she, she's okay. You see her? Just wants a hug. She just wants to be with us, right? She treats us a gift no matter how good we treat her. Our families just want us to love them. They want us to just care for them. They want to be connected with us. And if we love Jesus more than we love our family, we're going to be free to love our families, no matter if your family is great or not so great. We, we need to give up our suffocating grasp of what we think a family ought to look like and be free to love our family the way God intends for them. Families are a blessing, yes, that is true. But family is only a blessing if it's not first. You may have a family here that people envy. Maybe uh, your, your family is the, the best. Uh, you're, you're the, you're, you have the kid, perfect kids, or your kids think you're the perfect parents. And everybody wants to be like you because they, they think you have it all together. Well, that's a little exhausting, let me tell you that. But maybe you're a family that has one too many problems. Maybe you're a family that, that too many people know the secrets. 
And uh, you're, you may not, as a kid, maybe you, we wouldn't have chosen your parents. They're, they're just not cool. Maybe they're a little harsh to you. Or maybe your kids didn't turn out the way you expected them to. Family is hard. It's unpredictable. You can't choose your parents. You can't choose your kids like you choose a career path. I mean, even when you choose a spouse, you barely get to know them after a while. I mean, next year, I think it's going to be 30 years for Stacy and I. I still don't even know her. I'm trying to figure her out. Because people change their minds, right? Family means vulnerability. Eventually, they're going to let you know that you, you don't have it all together. You, that you really are the, the, the best person in the room. That you are not always perfect. The closest ones to us eventually let us know that we don't have it all together. That we're not the experts. And whatever you think that you have a good family or a bad family or not so great family, what I'm trying to say is be the best family member that you can. Be the best dad that you can. Be the best mom that you can. Be the best brother or the best sister, the best, ch best child. Be the best family member that you can be so that you can honor God. But I want to tell you something. Being the best family member, loving your family, does not make you right with God. It never will. Only Jesus makes you right with him. Only Jesus is the way. He died for sinful family members like you. He died for you as a mom, you as a dad, you as a child. He died for you and paid the price. And then he grants you his love so that you now can love others. He writes the law, the law into your heart so that you can be gentle and patient so that you're not insisting on your own ways. Yes, we fail, but God is drawing us to himself and he makes us to love our families the way he intends. He died to fulfill the command to love one another. He died to fulfill the command to obey your parents. He died to fulfill the command to love and respect your spouse. He knows everything about your family. He knows that you have a difficult family. He knows that you have difficult issues and, and trials that you're going through. And don't think that if you try to love your family better than others around you, that God's going to sweep your other sins under the rug. That's not how it works. Even your best deeds are filthy rags. And there's only one way to be right with God, and that is to repent and believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus. To realize that you're a sinner in needing of his grace and mercy. He knows you. He knows your family. He knows the situations that you have. And he's there for you. Go to him. Look, lots of families have secrets. We have a secret in our family. There's a couple things that I have to do as a dad. I bet you none other dads have to do. Um, I'm not going to tell you, though, because it's embarrassing. And I bet you, you guys, you, you, yeah, what, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. Maybe you have embarrassing things in your family that are just, you just don't want people to know. A lot of things that go on in our families are underground. 
Maybe you have some real trauma, some real emotional hurt that you had in your family. Maybe you have a secret that is just too tough to get out. We want the culture around us to know and think that we have it all together. Look on social media. Social media, it's all smiles, no frowns, right? Christians, I don't know what it is. We just think, we come in, and I love it, everybody's smiling, but sometimes we act too much like we have it together. We are sinners saved by grace. So we're going to sin. We're going to have failures, and we need each other to build us up. I need people to help me, to not be angry, to not be impatient, and to tell me when I am. The point I'm trying to make is family is difficult, and they're hard to love. And all of us are failures at family because we are part of the fall, and that's sin. We have sin in our lives. Thankfully, God saves us. He declares us righteous. But we still have the old man in us, and we still have remaining sin that we need to um, rectify with. We need to kill it. The cross shows us that family can be an area of God's mercy and display his glory. Because of his love for us, we get to honor God by loving our families within the relationships that he has for us. Children, you can honor God by obeying your parents by committing yourselves to your parents, just like Jesus committed himself to the Father on the cross. Brothers and sisters, if you have them, you can act like brothers and sisters and love each other because this points to the relationship we have in a church, brothers and sisters in true fellowship in Christ. Husbands and wives, your relationship, you know it points to Christ and his church. It is that union that Christ and the church has that you are to display. Each of us has relationships in the family that God gives us. Each of us has these relationships that are granted for us that, yes, we're going to have fun, but they're not ultimately about fun. It's a training ground for our ultimate destination where we're going to enjoy everything that God gives us. We have a full inheritance in heaven. But while we're here, we're to love our families. We have been given access because we have been adopted by God into his family. And because of that, we ought to be pointing out and looking for those who are hurt, looking for those who don't have a good family, looking for those who have a, a bad family situation. Stacy and I are, if you don't know, Stacy and I are part of the youth ministry here. We love having kids at our house. But I tell you, even if we weren't involved in the ministry here at the church, we would still have kids around. We would still have families around and share with their relationships and invest in their lives. And it starts with big, cheap tubs of peanut butter, cheap bread. Dave likes white bread. That's usually cheaper. Water, right? It doesn't ha you don't have to invest in much on the, on the accessories. You invest in the people's lives. It's nothing special, but it is, unless you have a peanut allergy. Um, but, there, but there's been teens who've had bad experiences. There's been 
um, husbands and wives who have had bad experiences. They just needed someone to talk to, someone that knew them and someone that loved them. Who is, who is it in your life that you could be praying for? Who is it even here in the church that you know is going through a tough time that you can just invest in praying to God and, and just seeking them out and saying, I'm here for you. How can you invite them into your family? Be on the lookout for them, how you can love them. Well, we need practical wisdom, and our practical wisdom is not from me or you. It comes from the Bible. The Bible gives it to us, and we need to know how to honor our parents without being a mama's boy or a daddy's girl. We need to know how to love our kids without exasperating them. We need to know how to honor our, our, our marriage without idolizing them. God shows us our weaknesses as we conform to Christ. He doesn't do that by allowing us to be a king, shouting and barking orders. He does that by humbling us to become a servant. Yes, even you dads, humbling us to become a servant. The gospel does not promise you prosperity and tranquility in your family. But you know what the gospel does promise? It promises that you were never outside the reach of God the Father who loves you and cares for you, and takes care of everything that you need in life and godliness. He does. We need to trust God. We need to trust his word to help us love our families. The Israelites were trained to trust in God as they were receiving manna day after day after day, and it wasn't the manna that they were trusting. It was God. God was teaching them to trust in his word for everything in life and godliness, and we are to as well. Your family matters to Christ, and Christ has a lot to say about it. He wants you to love your family because he loves you. He loves your family. And even from the cross, Christ was occupied with family matters. Oh, you're saying, yeah, he died on the cross. He's paying the full penalty of our sins. He receives the full cup of wrath. He vanquishes death and sin. That's a, that's a lot, right? That's huge. That's a lot to go on. But you know what else Jesus was worried about? Do you know what he was worried about with his last breath? Who's going to take care of his mom? Who's going to take care of her the way they, that she needs to be? That's, that's what he was taking care of. And, and we think taking care of parents is mundane, but, but Christ is showing us that is, it's huge. And it's matters of life and death, and it's, it's part of the cross that we, that we see Christ died for us to, to obey him in loving our parents. Like literally, Jesus was dying on the cross, and he, he initiates an adoption process for his mom and the disciple John. As he is becoming the payment for us to be adopted by the Father. Isn't that wonderful? He goes to John and he says, um, or he goes to his mom first and he says, woman, behold your son, as he's pointing to John. And he looks to John and he says, behold your mom. Done. Done deal. Jesus initiates that adoption process and he's, he shows us that it's mundane matters of family matter most. They, they do matter. Christ loves you. He loves your family. He gave John that mission to take care of his mom because he knows the best way to take care of family is to become a disciple of Christ. 
That's why Christ chose John, is because he was a disciple. And the other funny thing is, Christ humbled himself to become obedient to the cross. He humbled himself to be a family member. Like he had to learn suffering. He didn't need to do this, but he did it for you and for me. And he showed us on the cross that we need each other. And we need each other most when we're suffering. We cannot be families unless we're disciples first. We must recognize the joys and responsibilities that come with being part of a family. And it's not born from just your biology of blood. It's born from the biology of the crucifixion. The cross brings you into God's family and shows you what your family ought to be like and shows you how to love your family the best way. You can't love your family the right way unless you know God, unless you have been loved by Christ. Our families shape us, and we shape our families, but the cross should shape both. Now, if you have forgotten what was read by Jason, thank you for for reading that. Open your Bibles back up to Philippians. That was the long intro. The rest will be very quick. Maybe. Philippians chapter 2, if you open that back up. We have to remind ourselves that Paul wrote to the Philippians, the Christians in Philippians, to encourage them to be joyful, to abound in the joy of their faith, to rejoice and to be unified in Christ, to be partners of the gospel. This passage is to Christians. It's to you if you are a Christian, to be motivated to humble yourself in humble service to one another. And not just because you want to, but because Christ has done a lot for you. He has died for you. He has humbled himself so that you can be alive and made right with God. I'm going to try to motivate you to love your family better than when you entered this church this morning. Because of what Christ has done for you. So, let me read it again real quick. Verse 1, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same heart, with one accord, having the same mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but consider others more more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only think of his own interest, but the interests of others. And he says, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so it is in Christ Jesus is the focal point. And so I have first point is to consider Christ. Consider Christ because he is everything. And so Paul gives us four if-then statements. And they're not, if this is true, then you can do it. No, they are if these are true in your life, that means it's evident that you know Christ, and so therefore all, you, all of these things are true, and so you should be loving others. And so let me run down some of these encouragements. But first I want to tell you, the source of this love is Christ. Not just considering Christ, but knowing that Christ is the source of your love. It's not just a feeling. It's not just emotions. 
It's a new attitude because he has given you a new heart with new actions. And you're energized by the spirit, not because of some bunny, but because of the spirit that resides in you. Paul is in prison. It's like he thinks, I think he, well, we know from the scriptures that he thinks it's his last letter. It's a final letter. He, he's about to die. And so he's, he's wishing that the, the Philippians would be in unity together, to love Christ and to serve each other. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That means he loves Christ. We should love Christ now. And if we are with him, that means we love him more. We gain more of Christ. But he knew until he entered into the presence of his Lord, he was going to help others for the, for the promotion and for the, um, the, the changed life of the Philippians so that they can uh, abound in joy. And so he wanted to motivate them. I want to motivate you. And so here's the first motivation in your notes if you want to write these in. I don't think there's space, but it's under the consideration or considering Christ. It says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Now, if you're saved, you have a lot to be encouraged by, by Christ. There is a time that Christ has saved you and paid the penalty, and you know that for a fact. Maybe it was a, is a point of life that you know for sure, or maybe it was a process. But you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is your Savior. That gives you great encouragement. That should give you great encouragement to love others. If you're not saved, know that Christ offers you encouragement. He offers encouragement by saving you. And he gives you new life, and he will give you a new heart one that can love others in the way they need. There's another, and I, don't, I know it doesn't say if, if, if. It starts off if, and then all these four, but you can read that if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, right, on and on. So the next if statement, if there is any comfort from love. Brothers and sisters, the love that is mentioned here is the act of love that Christ did when he died on a cross for you. He actually did an act for you. And we have full acceptance through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the love that we have received. That love that Christ grants you gives you great comfort. It's a deep, deep love that you have on the inside. But know this, if you are unsaved, there is a deep, deep love that you're always going to be looking for. You're going to be searching through it for, through all of many things in life, many empty cisterns. They will never fill the void that is inside of you. Only Jesus offers you today the love, the satisfying love that you need. That's the comfort from love. Is there any participation in the Spirit? Friends, the gospel does not save you alone. It saves you with brothers and sisters. And we even get to see it here in this church. There are brothers and sisters here. We are together participating in the gospel. We are participating in the fellowship of believers. Our family, if you are Christians, your family has been granted a great gift of participation in the spirit. 
it's way easier to do things when you have someone to lift you up, to help you out, right? Aren't chores real easy when you have someone to help you out? You can have your buddy do the, your, your brother, your sister do the, the hard part of the chore, right? I think Huck Finn started that out. But I want you to be thinking about it, that you're just, you're not alone. And even if you are in a family that you're maybe the only one that's saved, you have the family of God to rely on, to help you, to, to shoulder some of the pain, to, to encourage you. You don't need to be alone. Being united with Christ together as a church is a great motivator. That is why we meet together regularly. It motivates you. We have a, a sin-cursed world out there, and it just drags us down. And the motivation we have is to know that Christ is saving his own. We are saved sinners together. That's motivation to love our families. Lastly, if there is any affection and sympathy. God has granted divine mercy and compassion to those he loves. He says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You just know when someone is genuinely affectionate. You know when someone is genuinely, genuinely loving you. I mean, we know that moms are the best with this. Moms usually get the, the credit for being the, you know, the nucleus of the family of love. But dads and siblings can share in this as well. The compassion that Christ grants you is the affection that motivates you to be loving to others. I want to ask you to let the security of knowing Christ as your Savior, the one who was infinitely affectionate to you and your needs, let that build the trust in you so that you can actually trust your family, trust your parents, trust your wife or your husband. Maybe you've had a difficult past, but you can move past that because you participate in the gospel. Even if you've been wronged, you can trust God. And I want to ask you, if you don't trust God, I'm telling you that you can because he is trustworthy. He is faithful. And he can do it. He has all the affection and sympathy you need. Run to Christ. I don't want, listen to this, I don't want us to undervalue the sacrifice of Christ. Luke 7, 47 tells us, if you feel that you've been forgiven little, you're going to love little. I want you to know that you have been forgiven a lot in Christ. That will motivate you to love others. That will motivate you to love your family the way you should. And these four considerations I just said, they, they tell us and they bring us back to the memories, not of a park or someplace, but they bring us back to the memories of when we were born again, when Christ made us alive in him. It's this motivation that propels us forward so that we can love others in the right way, propels us to love with, with a resource. We have every resource we need, and that is in Christ and him crucified. Even if you think you haven't been heard, oh, I'm in a family, they don't know me, they don't respect me, they don't hear me, God hears you. God listens to you, and he has delivered you into his love, and he can deliver you into this situation that you have. And he asks you and commands you to love others. He tells you to love your family.
Number two, complete joy by being a joy. And if you want a really long one, it's this. Complete joy by being a joy and loving your family by being united together. You see, Paul was talking to the Philippians to complete their joy by being in the same mind, having the same love with one accord. That's in verse 2 here. One mind. That's unity that Paul's talking about. Christians are united in the love that they share, and this verse starts with the mind and ends with the mind. How do you love your family? Do you do it because you're trying to check boxes off? Do you do it so that you can gain respect, obedience, intimacy? Why do you love your family? Ask yourself that. The true joy that you ought to have begins with the right attitude, with a humble mind. And that's what God is calling us to in the mind of Christ, because Christ was humbled to the point of the cross. If we all consider Christ, then we are considering the same thing. If your family is considering Christ, you will be unified, because you're all thinking of Christ. It begins with the mind. So I have an easy question. How do you complete something? Well, you finish it, right? At home, there's probably unfinished tasks to do, like chores, right? Maybe there's a, a vacuum that needs to be vacuumed or dishes to be done, right? There's unfinished projects all around. Maybe you've got a basement that's just disorganized or a garage that just is a wreck. How do you complete love? Finish the task. Even if it's not yours, help to finish tasks. Those are simple ways, right? Of course, you need to finish your own. But some of the better ones are, what about that conversation you need to have with your husband or your wife to reconcile something? How about that conversation you think you need to have, you know you need to have with your parents because you, you've done something? What about as a brother or sister? What about uh, um, um, you haven't seen your brother or sister in many years, or your, your mom, or your dad. What would it take for you to complete joy in them by having a conversation with them and loving them? And telling them that you actually love them. Noticing and finishing unfinished tasks is a display of love. Both simple ones like chores, but spiritual ones. I'm talking about spiritual tasks of coming alongside and loving and building each other up in Christ. You do that even if you don't get recognition, especially when you don't get recognition. What about that unfinished conversation? That unresolved disagreement? What about just cheering up your kids or cheering up your wife or your husband, even when nothing's wrong? Let's love our families. That's how you love others, by completing joy Simple tasks. For us, buttoning buttons and zipping zippers, for you, what is it? It's got to be something simple, and it can be, but it's ongoing and faithful. But mostly, it is being in the Word of God and sharing Christ. That is the best way to share love with your family, is to share Christ with them. If Christ can make you a broken sinner into a real Christian, a full Christian, then you can complete joy in others by helping finish unfinished tasks. I mean, there's always going to be unfinished tasks. 
you love differently now because you have been loved by God. You complete joy by loving your family. And it doesn't mean wait until they come to you, wait until they've calmed down and they, you know, resolve to humble themselves before you. No, you go to them. That's what humility looks like. Behold how good and pleasant it is to dwell when brothers dwell in unity. We want to have unity. Maybe you have a, a wife or a, a husband or parents who have failed you. They failed to love you. Maybe you, as a parent, have exa exasperated your kids. But you can move forward. You can honor God by loving your family the right way. Listen to your parents in the wisdom that they grant. Submit yourselves one to another, adults. Love your wife. Honor each other in the Lord. Don't sweat the small stuff. Love your family and seek forgiveness for each other. Because God teaches us and he commands us to love even when our families fall short. Number three, count others more significant by not doing things from a selfish ambition. Pursuing, pursuing prestige, it's addictive. It's like a cocktail of vanity. It's like drinking Red Bull or what do they got? The monster drink. You just can't finish. You got to finish the whole thing. You got to drink it right down. And that's what it looks like when we have selfish ambition. It's just never enough. Being selfish is the total opposite of what God has called us to be. And it's, it's not an outright taking, other, taking things from others. It's basically you just have your appetite is so infatuated that you just don't look out for the needs of others. Uh, simply put, it's like that last cookie on the table. You, it's not like you're taking it from others. You're just so worried about getting that cookie yourself that you're just not thinking of the other people's needs. And replace cookie with anything right? Anything in your life. You're just consumed with your own appetite. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The Philippians were called to humility. It's a lowliness of heart. It's, it's agreeing with God about who we really are and treating others with more significance. Sometimes we have to use our lips in conversations to actually tell people we love them. To tell people they can go to Christ and be encouraged in Christ. Well, you say, well, what if I'm so great? I mean, I got way more abilities than my brother. Um, I'm, my wife always messes up or my husband, he's just an idiot, right? What, what if we, we say these things and what we really mean is I got way more abilities than my family does. How am I supposed to condescend and be, have them be more significant? They need to shape up before I start loving them the right way. Well, guess what? There was someone who did have a lot of abilities and way more than you can ever have. And his name is Jesus. And you're not it. But Jesus did humble himself. He used his great ability to save you. He used his ability to pay for your penalty on the cross and to save you where you deserve wrath and destruction. 
being self-protective and self-promoting, it shatters unity in a family. The world tells us it's great to be successful. It says, reach for the stars. Uh, what is it? Um, Buzz Lightyear says, infinity, to infinity and beyond, right? We're always reaching for the best, reach, reach for the top. And that's what we try to do. We always try to reach for the top, and that's what conceit looks like. And the world tells us that it's easy. The world tells us, well, actually, the world tells us it's real hard, so just try it. Reach for the top. But you know what the world doesn't tell you? You know yourself? You don't tell yourself all the time, and that is to look to the lowly. Place yourself in the low position. Look out for other people. I'm telling you, that is the hardest thing to do, is to place yourself low. Reaching for the top is actually easy. Any, any idiot can do that. I've tried it. It doesn't get you anywhere. But placing yourself low, that's where God wants you to be. Humility is the key to loving your family and being unified. Pride is pushing yourself up to the top. Humility, lowering yourself. It is hard work to love your family. We get it. And so doesn't God. And he does that for you, for your good. It's called sanctification. And he uses your family like holy sandpaper to rough up your rough edges. Um, in an orchestra, the, no, the number one instrument they usually say is like ver first violin. Like that's like really good to have. But you know what the hardest instrument to play is in the in orchestra? That's uh, second violin. Second violin is the hardest. You know why? No one can play that enthusiastically. Everybody wants to be first violin. But you know what happens if you don't have second violin? You don't have harmony. Look to your family. Be second violin so that you can have harmony in your family. Humble yourself. There's two ways to look at life, and I know it's 12 o'clock, but I want to finish up here. There's a couple ways you can look at life. You can look at yourself as a victim, and you're always going to treat yourself in regards to how people have wronged you, how they've mistreated you, how they've never heard you, how they don't respect you or love you. You're always going to be worried about what others do for you or have done or what they haven't done. And so you're always going to be a victim, and you're never going to get out of that victimhood mentality. But if you consider Christ and you consider the victory you have in Christ, you're going to know that you have victory in Christ and that you can now look past all of the hurts and all of the wrongs and then you can be focused on how you can love others even when they have wronged you. You can love others because you have victory in Christ. Philippians had a tough time. Paul had a tough time. He was in jail, but he wasn't worried about the imperial guard that was chaining him up. The, the poor conditions that he had, the imminent lifespan that he, thankfully he got rescued from that one, but he knew he was going to go. But he wasn't worried about his life. He was worried about the unity of the Philippians. When we have a tough time in our family, are we worried about the unity that we have in our family? Are we worried about how we can stop worrying about practical things and what's the most plausible thing to do and worry about the unity and consider our family? 
a lot of times you're going to have better ideas. You're going to have better ways to do stuff. But look to unity the way God asks us to. Sometimes it's not going to, who cares if things don't work out the best possible way? The best possible way is for you to be united with other Christians. The best possible way for you is to submit yourself, to humble yourself, and to not have conceit. That's the best possible way. Not to have a perfect luncheon or a perfect, I don't know, whatever it is in life. But we're always, I, I failed myself. We're always worried about having the best thing, and there's good and proper ways to be stewarding right. But in the end, relationships are more important. Our family is way more important. This church family is way more important than all our endeavors. God is more important than all your endeavors. The gospel changes everything. And the gospel-centered unity will show itself for the care of others. If you're a victim, you're going to resent taking care of your family. You're going to resent to resolve some problems that you have. You're going to resent those things. But if you're having victory in Christ and you know and you can trust God, then you're going to do the hard things. You're going to resolve problems. You're going to ask for forgiveness. You're going to seek out and grant forgiveness for others. You're going to confess your sins to one another. Uh, we have a daughter. She doesn't uh, advocate for herself. Whenever she goes into a room, she won't be the first one in. Whenever she goes to a set of stairs, she won't walk down first. She always waits for someone else, and then she'll follow, right? It's easy. We can go downstairs real fast if I hang on to her hand, right? That's good for her, but know that Jesus has offered you the first step. He has saved you. He has extended love to you so that you can now love others. As we refrain from being number one and being second violin, let's consider the Lord who made the first step and, and, and now we can respond in love. There's, there's, un, there's nothing else I can say, but I want to just give us the example of Christ because that is far more important than anything else I've ever said. And it's found right in the scripture. So I want you to look at Philippians 5, or Philippians 2, verse 5. Look along as I read this, because this is the example that you have to love your family the right way, to love others the right way. It is Christ's example of humility. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself in human, uh, by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, brothers and sisters, our only hope is Christ. Our only motivation, our, uh, motivation for loving others 
is Christ. If, if you have not heard me talk about Christ, then I've done something wrong. Christ is it. He is everything that you need. He is the great motivator so that you can start humbly loving others and being unified with the same mind, having the same love, and with one accord, have the same mind. He is the one that's going to allow you to look out for others' interests more than yourself. He loves you first so that you can love others. I'm going to waste five more seconds here because I want to apply some of these things. I really want you to hear this. Go home today and tell your family you love them. Literally. If you haven't talked to your parents, adults, if you haven't talked to your parents or kids, if you haven't said to your parents, I love you, do it. Literally say, I love you. Tell them, I love you. And tell them why you love them. Hang out with them, even when they're boring. And it's just, you got way more other things to do. Hang out with your family. Do boring stuff together. But love your family. Do, number two, do a chore. There's unfinished business all around. But literally do something. Do something to share love. Some chore that you know your mom hates or your dad hates or, or your husband or your wife. That one, you know, that, that, that mess that never gets clean. Just take care of something. That's a great joy. And don't look for recognition. Just do it. Love your family with real life things. Take interest into their hobbies. Husbands, do you know what your wives not like? Do you know what their hobbies are? Husbands, do you, do you know what your, your wives need and what they cherish other than Christ? They do cherish Christ. But what are the other things that they like? Wives, what does your, what does your husbands like? Know what they like. Tell the truth to each other about what's going on in your life. Literally, just tell the truth. Your family is what God has given you as a perfect example of a close-knit relationship that you can trust. Tell them the truth. And here's one. If you haven't done family devotions in your family in a long time, together as husband and wife, if you haven't prayed together in a while, go home and just do that today. Show real love by just opening up God's word together, even for five minutes. Don't turn it into a sermonette. Just read a passage of scripture and love each other and pray because you love Christ. That is the ultimate way that you can share love today. I really do want you to do these things. These are homework assignments for you. Please do these things. Organize some event for people to come to your family for hospitality, some kind of game night. It'd be great to do that. So just a couple considerations. Worship team, you can come up. Um, and as they do come up, the reading today that we had at the beginning of uh, worship was 1 John 4. And at verse 20, there's a highlight of this re reading that I wanted us to look at. And it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I want you to ponder on that. Do you love your brother? Do you love God? 
Thank you.